Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good afternoon from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have Mr. Jeff North with us today. Jeff, how are you, man? Doing great. Thanks for asking me to come up here today. Jeff is a longtime agricultural consultant, and so we're going to talk about the MACA today, which what we call it, but it's the Mississippi Agricultural Consultants Association. So they had a meeting in Stoneville here this morning, met with quite a few of us, and then they're putting their program together for their meeting next week. In February, this will be the 49th annual meeting of uh, Mississippi Ag Consultants Association. How many of those have you been involved in? Uh, My first crop was 1978 with the Extension Scouting Program. I was became a member of the Consultant Association in 1981. Long-term, uh, long-time consultant, Mr. Jim Richards, recommended me. You know, you had to have someone back in the day to, uh, and you still do, to recommend you based on your experience and what you've done with, with crop production and, and crop consulting. Okay. You've been a professional consultant for a long time. Those of us at the university side have dealt with you for most of the years that we've been here. How many trucks have you used in your career as a professional ag consultant? That's solid, Tom. I like it. How many trucks I've used? Absolutely. Uh, without tearing them up, some of them to a year, but roughly every other year get a new pickup. Uh, the turn rows, the ditches, you name it, the dust uh, wears them out. So what was the best one you ever had? Gosh, it goes way back. I started with the, well, the first vehicle I ever worked crops with and checked cotton in was a 1973 Grand Prix with a 455 <laughs> four-barrel. No kidding. You didn't need that had on the car, turn row. Had a car. Got about nine miles per gallon. And that would have been 1978, 1979. And then my first actual truck was a Bronco 2, then the large Broncos, and then evolved to the to the pickups. So it's been a lot of them. I would hate to add all the dollars up spent on just vehicles, much less gasoline. But I've never never been never thought about that. That's pretty pretty good that's, question. That's why I hit you spur, spur of the moment with that one for sure, because I think that's one of those ones that we probably don't spend enough time talking about. That was a good one, Tom. I like that. So, Jeff, you've been the president of the MACA. You're not currently the president. I'm not currently the president, but, uh, but I have been president four or five years. I was, was going to ask yeah. how, many, how many times you had yeah. been the president. So why don't you just tell folks a little bit about MACA, where it started, why it started, things like that. It's really a neat story. The evolution of the Mississippi Act Consultant Association began 49 years ago with really an informal group of consultants, and I won't be able to name all of them. We have a list of them, but Jimmy Walker, Billy Harris, Mills Rogers, Jack Oakman, many of these consultants, of course, who are no longer with us, they met in Greenwood on Friday nights just to have supper with each other and talk about current issues of what was going on. And this was primarily all cotton. There wasn't much you know, consulting going on in grain crops. And it was all cotton. I think we what million and a half, two million acres of cotton. But it was just a round table of, uh, of gentlemen that were pioneers and innovative in the insect control business. And eventually it went into 
plant disease, herbicides, fertility. And there was a brainstorm by one of them one night. I said, hey, why don't we form a, an association? And it developed from there. I think peak membership at one time was probably 130 members. Actual consultants in the state, it has come down. Our active membership now are in the mid-70s or something like that. But it was just novel thinking and, and pioneers of um, entomologists proactive in production, crop production in Mississippi that started this in Greenwood, Mississippi, almost, well, 50 years ago. The big drop in cotton acres has really necessitated y'all moving into some other things like checking grain crops. That happened about the time I started, 07, but y'all would know better than I would the drop in cotton acres. Yeah, it was about about 2004, we began to lose infrastructure in the state. Cotton prices, commodity prices started to plummet. Gins started to close down. Cotton production was in turmoil across the belt, not just in Mississippi either. A 1.6 million acre of cotton went to maybe 200 to 300,000. And a lot of entomologists struggled to think, okay, where do we have a place? Because we've been cotton men for forever. And Mother Nature evolves. I don't care if we started growing pigweed as a crop, there would probably be insects and diseases and weeds that would take over our pigweeds right now. I've, I've thought about that before. So when our cotton acres went down, grain production went up, corn, soybeans, and we found a place to be able to, to help our producers, to help growers, that we realized there were more problems than we thought there were. Soybean yields back in the day, what, 20, 25 bushels per acre, and now we're approaching 60, 70, 80, some 100 bushel. Corn, 100 bushel corn crop was a big corn crop back in the day. And now, you know, 180, 190, 200, 250, through management of scouting crops, these crops still respond to management. We always thought that cotton, you know, you had to do a lot of management for cotton. Well, there's just as much management that goes into soybeans and corn and technologies to make these high-yielding crops for our producers, too. So you mentioned cotton and, and entomology. Historically, was the membership of MACA, were they mostly entomologists? Historically, most of us, uh, most everyone was entomologist. As time evolved and we had more issues coming up with diseases that, you know, I mean, there, were, there was pressure. There were problems out there in the field that it took a while to, to notice. Uh, I remember from a herbicide standpoint, uh, the number of trips across the field in the springtime, uh, a disc, a subsolar, another disc, a field cultivator, a hipper, in Trefland, the, the yellows that were put out, we don't have enough time and equipment to go across the field this many trips now. So we had to evolve. Our, all of our practices changed. Uh, fewer trips across the field. The trips that we did do, uh, that, that we do make, our herbicide applications vary from one to two to three where we were spraying herbicides and cultivating cotton and cultivating soybeans and spraying under these crops with uh, the arsenal of herbicides that we did. Our whole production scheme has changed now. And the consultant, we change with it yearly. Seasonally, we change with it. Uh, you know, it's funny, years ago, there was a little head button between the university and, and extension and consultants. All, we weren't on the same team a lot of times. We disagreed. Extension entomologists, extension plant pathologists, 
a weed scientist, and we butted heads. And over time, I have seen this evolve to where we are a close-knit one unit now. I mean, some of my best friends are with Extension and with research and with the university, and I saw it change over time. Everybody is a close group, and we talk we talk all the time. Everybody has everybody's cell numbers now, and we talk and we ask questions. And I know Jason. One of his one of my jokes with Jason Bond now is, uh, "Hey, I would like to pick your brain." <laughs> and we've laughed about that. He said, "You won't realize how many times." The conversation starts with that. But the whole consultant industry, and who knows where it'll be 50 years from now. I know it will be a part of it. You know, we pride ourselves on non-biased recommendations. We, we use thresholds based on research from the university and researchers. And we don't, we're not in the business of trying to sell a product to a grower. We are offering consultant services based on what his needs are specific for that crop. And it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful profession. It's challenging, of course. It's very challenging. It's very stressful with the, the high inputs and the livelihoods that, that we have a direct role with our producers. But everybody takes this job serious. And it takes a team effort to, to accomplish this with the researchers, the university personnel, the consultant, the growers. But it's a, I can't think of a better profession to be in. What really necessitated that change or shift from y'all being just bug checkers and cotton to move into some of those other grain crops? Well, it began with cotton, and we realized there were more factors that, that played a role in management of cotton than just insects. We, we started working with fertility. We started working with plant growth regulators, herbicides. And then as we started taking more active roles with other crops like corn, like soybeans, like rice, growers would come to us and say, hey, I've got a field of beans down here. Why, When you're on your way to the next cotton field, step in those beans and look at them. And that's the way we started with soybeans. It was just haphazard here and there. But we began to realize, hey, there are a lot more issues in soybean production than we realized. You don't just plant them and look for loopers or something once a year toward the end of the season. As we began to work in these fields and these crops more, we realized there are a lot more management practices that need to go in. We control fertility, different insects, plant pathology, diseases. And so we started a more intense scouting in, at the request of our growers. And as soon as we started working in these other crops, corn, soybean, wheat, we began to notice that when we applied different management practices to these crops, we started seeing responses and yield responses. And there was a lot more to growing any crop than we at one time thought. And that whole communicative process between those of us in extension and research and working with the university and all consultants, that's really how a lot of research ideas develop over time because we spend time discussing those things that you see with you. We get out there in the field and look at those situations and then we apply that to some of our work and how that all works together. It's a pretty seamless operation. It is. And someone stumbles upon something and like, hey, what is this? And then we'll call you, uh, Tom Allen in, or we'll call Jason in, or we'll call Whitney Crow in. We'll say, so I noticed something. What, what do you think about this? The necessity is a mother invention, and you see something novel that raises a question, and that's what research is. You know, there's a question raised. What about, what if we do this? Or what if we don't do this? 
and then we just lead and go, and it continues on and on and on. And we and we do it now. We'll do it in the future. And what we learn from what we do, what we don't do, goes into our practices to benefit our producers. At least in our state, y'all keep us informed. I can talk to you, or I can talk to Lauren Green, or I can talk to somebody in Tunica County, and I can know what's going on, and maybe sometimes I can anticipate things that are might be going on from from some of those conversations. So, I mean, that's definitely a... And even in other states, we may see something that starts in another state and through technology. I mean, years ago, we worked in the field from daylight to dark and never have any communication with anyone. No cell phones, no radios, nothing. And you might be on, you would be on the phone all night. And now you can pick the phone up or you can send a text message to someone or you can send an email even from your truck. Say, hey, I noticed this in Madison County, Mississippi. What are you seeing in Tunica, Mississippi right now? Have you seen this? And, uh, and we bring it to your attention or we'll send, we'll send pictures. I mean, how many pictures a year do you get, Tom, when someone sends something? Hey, what is this? A lot. And it, I mean, that's, that's where the whole process, I think, works pretty seamlessly is if, if you have a good research and extension program, you're doing your own plot work, you're out walking things, looking at things, and then we're on the phone discussing those things. And I come and look at things in your field. Now we're to the point where somebody can basically send a picture and that's what this is. It's this specific leaf spot in corn or cotton or soybeans. We're seeing this in a lot of area. And that, you know, then the cross state lines thing between consultants and other states and those of us, I mean, we all, we all talk to Hank Jones. Everybody talks to Hank Jones. Everybody knows right. Hank. Sure. And, and all the way across the nation. And, and even like from a regulatory standpoint, uh, Jason will call or uh, Whitney will call or Don Cook will call and say, look, we've got an active, we've got a molecule that's going through re-registration right now. We need your support. We need your thoughts. How important is this to you? How important is this to your producers? And everybody works together to save our tools and to develop more tools to, to help us produce crops um, economically, safely. It's a fine-tuned machine now the way that the consultant association has evolved and working with extension and researchers to to benefit uh production agriculture jeff we do y'all's meeting every year in february and there's a lot of boys there now that tom and i remember when they were in school your son john to name one specifically so i feel like y'all got a good young group of, of guys that are coming along in their career. So tell folks what's required to become a member of the MACA. We are regulated by the state of Mississippi, uh, the Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Bureau of Plant Industry. Laura Vollard's deputy director. And you have to be licensed to recommend insecticides, herbicides, fungicides for hire. You have to be licensed in the state. The state has a strict policy and guidelines and I can't remember everything, but I know it requires a degree in a related field, whether it's uh, weed science, plant pathology, entomology. You must take an exam. You must pass this exam. Then you are licensed with the state. But each year there are continuing education meetings that you must attend to renew your license each year. You don't just go out and say, I'm going to start consulting 
and start providing written recommendations of, uh, of pesticides, there are strict guidelines that we must follow. And we, and we work closely with Bureau of Plant Industry. We approve our, our program. We, we set a program just like we've been working on today, and we send that draft to Bureau of Plant Industry for them to sign off on to make sure that we're covering all of the areas and all the categories for licensing for consulting. It's a work in progress every year. We are regulated through the state as a licensing, just like a medical doctor or a dentist. You've got criteria that you must meet to be able to, to do this work. So your segment of the industry is regulated basically by the Department of Agriculture in Mississippi, specifically the the Bureau of Plant Industry. That's right, uh, which is a, de- a part of Mississippi Department of Agriculture. Some states with certain licenses, they reciprocate across state lines. Is that the case with a consulting license in Mississippi? I don't consult outside of Mississippi, but I do know consultants that do, and not only do they attend Mississippi meetings, they must also attend, I'll just make an example of Arkansas, they have to attend Arkansas also. I know in just pesticide certification, commercial applicators, there are uh, acts of reciprocity, but with the ag consulting licenses, you must attend, as far as I'm aware of, both meetings. I know Ed Watley, for instance, he has to attend license meetings in Arkansas and also in Mississippi to stay current. So are those requirements different? Is there a case where you could be licensed in one state, but you wouldn't meet the minimum qualifications in another state? Possibly. I don't know all the requirements for Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia. I'm not sure of all of those, but it's possible. You would probably need to check with each Department of Agriculture in each state to make sure that you are covered uh, with your regulations, your license with each state like that. The only thing I was going to say is, is it's nice to go to the meeting and see some more young consultants because there was a period of time where I definitely was growing concerned about maybe we're not attracting enough people to replace the ones that are retiring. So you you definitely have seen that in your years. Do you think that's remaining a, a good entity within the state of Mississippi? You're continuing to add fresh blood every year? Oh, absolutely. The um, there There's a slate of older consultants in this state. And what's interesting is that a lot of older consultants are mentoring younger consultants that work with them right now. And at some point down the road, a year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, you know, we all reach an end of a career. And with this, the wisdom and the knowledge that's represented in this state with the consultants it's, it's vast. It's, my granddad used to always say, he said, you see this gray hair? He said, it's called wisdom. And there are numerous consultants, older consultants, that have younger entomologists, plant pathologists, and weed scientists working with them. And they're receiving training. They're getting training. They're learning actually in the field. And at some point, if they so choose, they may have the opportunity or will have the opportunity to fall in the consultant's footsteps that they're working for to take over those acres, take over that business. And it's, a, it's beneficial for, for everybody. You've got uh, younger guys in the field. They, they've got different ideas. They have training in, in grad school now. A lot of, a lot of these younger consultants, you know, they got 
advanced degrees, they master degrees, PhDs, and they're working with the older consultants, and it's uh, a great relationship because you have the experience and the wisdom of someone maybe been in the field 40 or 50 years, but then you have the, the technology end of it in a different aspect of education that's coming into it, and it works. It all works great for, for the end result is for the producer. And they can walk further. And faster. <laughs> and faster. This falls true. I mean, this is also true with researchers. I mean, you've got younger researchers coming in in your footsteps, and at some point, uh, Tom, five years from now, 10, 15, 20, you're training pathologists to fall in your footsteps. Angus did with Whitney. we got Jeff Gores moving more in administration now. Jason, you'll have young weed scientists behind you falling in. I mean, we'd leave a legacy, so we just hope to leave it better. I definitely think we should all plan ahead for something like that. That's that's important. That's That's where the whole... Success is a journey, not a not a destination. But Jeff, we we appreciate you coming and talking to us today. Oh, thank you uh, for asking me. And uh, and as soon as we'll uh, finish this, I'm sure we'll have some more discussions on the turn row. See you, buddy. All right, thanks a lot. See you soon. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. 